we'll continue in our series. Now, now David, you said you had a, a grandson, correct? What's his name? What's the numbers? Give us some numbers. Congratulations. Congratulations, David. Amen. Amen. That's, that's their first. So don't expect me to be saying that out loud when you're having your 17th. That's their first. So, amen. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Well, good morning. It's so good to have you in the house of the Lord. Um, we're in a sermon series from the book of Daniel. From the book of Daniel. And the theme of this series, the overall title would be The Responsibility and Reward. The Attributes of an Excellent Spirit. Because the Bible says about Daniel, he had an excellent spirit. An extraordinary spirit, the NAS would say. This morning our focus will be on chapter 5. And our title will be The Handwriting on the Wall. The Handwriting on the Wall. So, if you would, Daniel, in in chapter 5, the Bible says, verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his, his father or his relative, his grandfather in his case, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So the kings and nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Well, from there the king went on to call in all of his wise men, all the astrologers, the soothsayers, and none of them could tell him what the interpretation was. So, of course, the king got even more frightened. Hearing the commotion that was going on, the, the queen mother, the, the grandmother, she, she runs into the party and she tries to console her grandson by saying, it's all right, calm down. There is a man in the kingdom. His name is Daniel. And he can interpret this dream. And so Daniel's brought in and the king says, I'll give you gifts, I'll give you rewards. And Daniel basically says, you can keep that to yourself, but I will tell you, the interpretation. We see in verse 17, Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and I will tell him what it means. He begins to speak. Verse 22. But you, O his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Daniel had just told him the story that we studied last week. How his great-grandfather, how his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest of the Babylonian kings, had gotten so haughty and so proud that the Lord gave him a a terrible, terrible dream, right? It was was frightening. And the interpretation was, listen, you're going to be cut down to size like a stump. You're going to be um, thrown like a wild man to the animals. You're going to go insane unless you acknowledge the living God is the sovereign one. And he's the one that gives kingdoms to men. Don't take it credit for yourself. You didn't do it. God in His mercy allowed you to have such reign and such royalty and such prominence. And for a full year, if you remember, God was patient with Nebuchadnezzar. 
For a full year, he extended mercy, but Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't respond to the word of the Lord or the pleadings of Daniel. And then one day, as Nebuchadnezzar was looking over the vast kingdom, he's talking about how great he is and all the accomplishments he had. The Bible says, boom. God said, that's it. And God said, the judgment's coming. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, like like an animal, was driven insane until he finally admired the Lord and acknowledged God and humbled himself before the true and living God, the God of Israel. So Daniel tells the grandson this story. He says, but you... Verse 22, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew this. And you still didn't reverence the God of Israel. Verse 23, instead you set up for yourselves, you set yourselves up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives, they drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, which cannot see, cannot hear, cannot understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all his ways, all your ways. Therefore he sent a hand that wrote the inscription. And then Daniel tells him in verse 26, this is what the words mean. God has numbered your days and your reign is brought to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then at Belshazzar's command, he gave Daniel the the rewards that he promised. But that very night, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. We're using as a title the handwriting on the wall, the handwriting on the wall. You know, many, many people that have never even heard about Daniel, the Babylonians, or certainly Belshazzar's feast, use the phrase, the handwriting's on the wall. The handwriting's on the wall. And the phrase comes from this chapter of the Bible and announces an impending judgment. An impending judgment. Belshazzar and all of his cronies and the wives and the nobles, they were feasting and drinking. That booze is a deadly, dangerous thing. Another sermon for another day. They're feasting while the armies of the Medes and the Persians were outside the gates waiting to enter in and invade. The city of Babylon had boasted that it was impregnable. And there was some um, 20 years worth of food supplies in case they ever came under siege. So again, they had this false confidence, but unfortunately the Lord said, Babylon, your time has come. And this morning, as time allows, we want to look at some of the, the characters in this story. Four persons, if we can get that far, that were involved in this, this divine drama and how they relate to the plan of God. Number one, we'll look at Belshazzar, this young and cocky, arrogant king, and we'll talk about him as judgment is defied. And then the Lord, of course, the Lord who said, I had enough. And when God says he has enough, how do you know God can crash your party? Amen. God can crash your party. And the judgment declared. And then the queen mother, judgment disregarded. She meant well, but she really didn't see the gravity of the situation. And then finally, Daniel, as he describes the judgment and gives the interpretation of what the Almighty had decreed that very night. Now, some 70 years, those of you that have been with us, some 70 years have elapsed between the events in Daniel 1 and Daniel 5. 20 to 30 possible years have elapsed just between chapters 4 last week and chapter 5 this week. Now, Cyrus and the Persian armies, they're waiting outside the city gates. They're ready to take the city. But Belshazzar's inside, think he's smug, thinking he's safe. The very night, Belshazzar partied, thinking all was well. 
We talked about those walls of Babylon, some 380 feet tall, over 85 feet wide. They could race four chariots. They thought the gates of iron and copper and bronze could never be brought down. But little did they know, Cyrus had an idea. He took the great Euphrates River that ran through Babylon and he diverted the waterway. So while they were partying, his troops snuck in through a dry riverbed right into the heart of the city, and they conquered this boastful, young, cocky king. We're going to look at the people today. Number one, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, judgment defied. He had all the privileges a man could want. He was the son of a king. He was the grandson of the greatest king of the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. He had um, the education. He had the training. The Babylonians were so uh, far advanced in the engineering and in science and certainly in military strategy. And he had all the, the grooming and all the counselors, but he was a failure in his leadership. He was a failure as a king, as we see. He was lacking in character, though he had all these other wonderful traits and under, wonderful privileges because, friends, fools seem to forget that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it all. Come on, say amen. You can have all the great, you know, you can have all the um, education, you can have all the privileges and titles. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, look out, um, the handwriting's on the wall. Trouble's coming to your house. Come on. It reminds me, you know, of Belshazzar. He, he had everything you would think to be successful, to make him fit for the job. But sometimes such natural training is not enough. Like the young man, he applied for a job at a supermarket. And the manager said, well, yeah, I guess I could use someone to sweep out the store. And the young guy said, sweep out the store? He said, I'm a college graduate. And, and, he, and the manager lowered his voice. That's all right, son. I'll show you how to do it. And, and he kind of, you know. So sometimes, so that, sometimes that education only takes you so far. Amen. Belshazzar, judgment defied. He was the grandson of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. He obviously didn't learn the lesson that God had taught to his grandfather again and again. And he dared God to act. He refused to learn from the past. We can describe him as, number one, indulgent. He was not a disciplined king. He was not um, careful. He was careless. He was indulgent. And we all know a lifestyle that's indulgent, there's a high cost for low living. That's just the way it is. He was a spoiled monarch and he was about to pay the price. The handwriting was on the wall. It was coming and it couldn't be avoided. He lived for the pleasure of the now, forgetting that the very eternity was merely a heartbeat away. He was indulgent and he was indifferent. He had an attitude of indifference. He was indifferent towards the enemy outside. He was indifferent towards the lessons that he had been taught and he should have remembered from the past. The dreams and the revelations and the demonstrations the God of heaven had given Babylon. We remember the fourth man in the fiery furnace where great Nebuchadnezzar fell down and he said, there is no other God but the God of Shadrach. Means Shadrach and Abed. There is none as powerful and as great. And, and he set the law throughout the entire kingdom to respect and honor that God. But this young king was indifferent to the word and indifferent to the warnings. The lessons and the mercies that God had given in the past. 
He was so indifferent that in false confidence, he mocks, he parties, and he laughs at holy things. Unaware that the living God had placed him on his scales and found him wanting. Oh, when God weighs us. Oh, when God weighs us. He was indulgent. He was indifferent. And of course, he was very irreverent. He was irreverent. He touched the gold in the glory of God. He touched the sacred goblets that that had been brought back from the temple in Jerusalem. Those goblets that were sanctified for a holy use in the tabernacle of God. And he dares to take them and use them for wicked purposes. Worshipping the false gods, drinking and getting drunk. Friends, people can defy the will of God. People can mock the God of heaven. People can blaspheme His holy name for only so long. And then the hand of God begins to move the handwriting. It's on the wall. It's on the wall. You see, the sad thing is that his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king of the Babylonians, like we said, he had decreed that all people were to respect the God of the Jews. In chapter 3, after he saw the fourth man, he set out a decree that all people everywhere, he himself praised the living God as sovereign and great and mighty, chapters 2 and chapter 4. But the years had passed. Years had passed and the great king, his words were forgotten. And his grandson treated the God of Israel with arrogant disrespect. You see, friend, each generation must have their own personal encounter with God so they don't forget the God of heaven and they don't forget or forsake the God of their fathers. You see, we've got so many wonderful, wonderful young people in our church from the little babies that are in the nursery to the children that run off to children's church to the many teens that are here today. And our prayer for you and God's will for you is that you will each have your own personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He wants to meet you personally. He wants to meet with you individually. And it's the most important thing there can be. Your education is very important. Who you choose as a spouse, very, very important. But nothing is more important than personally loving and serving Jesus Christ. He wants to meet with you. He wants you to know Him. And He wants you to walk with Him publicly and unashamedly. Oh, friend, there is nothing more important than your personal walk and commitment to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. But Belshazzar was young and brash and too big for his britches. And he forgot the God that so inspired his great-grandfather. The God that had shown himself again as again as the only true and living God. And instead of reverencing him, he mocked him by a lifestyle of carelessness, indifference, and irreverence. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Here's our verse for, for this particular point. This is how God wants us to be. He wants the men and women of God. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. He wants men and women that serve God with reverence and awe, that have a healthy fear of God and the way they live their life. Very natural. Our lifestyle is one that can be described as reverence and awe before the true and living God. For our God, the God of the Bible, is a consuming fire. That means he's not a God to be dealt with. He's not a God to be messed with. He's not a God to be flipping with. He's a God to be reverenced. He's a God to be honored. He's a God to be lifted up and highly exalted. Somebody say amen. We believe in preaching through books here at Pleasant Grove, if you're new, because as you preach through books, you get the whole counsel of God. It's too easy to bounce from pretty little subject to pretty little subject and Take a little, you know, I'm going to take a little counsel. What do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? That's never been the Bible way. But we believe in preaching through a book. And um, so we get the whole counsel of God. And so number one, we see this brash young king. Well, what was he reverent towards the things of God? But number two, the second character is the Lord, the Lord himself. Uh, History is his story. And this is judgment declared. I found an interesting scripture in Job as I was studying for this. Um, The New King James says it well. Job 20, verses 4 and 5. Job 20, verses 4 and 5. Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on the earth, that the triumph of the wicked is short? Short. Fleeting, isn't it? Short. The pleasure is for... Short. And the joy of the hypocrite is but for a... The handwriting's on the wall. You see, in the same hour that Belshazzar was holding his sinful feast... God crashed the party. Wow. God crashed the party. I can remember again and again that great preacher of old E.V. Hill. And he would warn his congregation. I could hear him preaching. He would tell the people, your arms are too short to box with God. He said, don't fight him, beloved. Don't fight him. Don't reject him. Don't ignore him. Serve him. Seek him. Love him. Exalt him. Follow hard after him. Be bold in him. But don't fight with him. Your arms are too short to win. In the same hour, the Medes and the Persians are coming unnoticed into the city through that dry riverbed. God pays a visit, just a short visit, to this doomed Babylonian king. You can hide from man, but you can't hide from God. And when the Almighty has had enough, he crashes the party. This God kind of works it like this. He knows how to get our attention. And if we don't give him our attention, he'll get our attention. Number one, look at the wall. Look at the wall as God crashes the party. Verse 5, look at the wall and you see the finger of God. Without warning, the fingers of a human hand appeared. I mean, out of nowhere. And they begin, they begin to write a message. And it's on the wall of the great hall. It must have been an awesome sight. It, the the reverie ceased and the banquet hall became deathly quiet as the king and his guests. They just stared at amazement at the words being written on the wall. I mean, those hands had stolen the sacred vessels. Those hands are now mocking the God of Israel. Now these hands that rule the universe is getting ready to call him into account. The finger of God. The finger of God that defeated Pharaoh when he refused to let God's people go. The finger of God that wrote the holy law. At Sinai for the Israelites, the holy finger of God that would one day write in the sand 
defending a fallen, repented woman. Now, that finger of God writes the obituary for a young, brash, know-it-all king. Judgment had come. Look at the wall and see the finger of God. And look at the king and see the sobering sinner. He's not so cocky now. The king's countenance had changed. Gone was the smirk arrogance. Gone were the cute little remarks. Neither his exalted position nor his self-confidence could keep his face from turning pale, his heart from being overcome with terror, and his knees from knocking together. For the finger of God, God, had turned the banqueting hall into a courtroom. And the king was about to be declared guilty. We look at the wall, and then we look at the king, and then we look at the wise men, and and we see the insufficiency of the world to help us in the matters that really matter. The king literally screamed for his wise men. And they came, and they came, but once again, they were unable to interpret the message from God. Friend, the world doesn't have the answer that you're looking for. The world does not have the answer for life or eternity, but thank God Jesus does. I said, thank God Jesus does. It's very important that you know who to run to in time of trouble. It's very important you know whose counsel to receive and listen to when times are tough. We're here today not because we did anything grand in ourselves, but amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Oh, Jesus is a wonderful Savior in your time of trouble, in your time of heartache. When things look hard and things look um, confusing, there is one that you can turn to. There is one you can call on. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Jesus is our answer. In the day of trouble, He'll hide us in the hollow of His hand. In the hour of decision, He'll be a wonderful counselor saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. If you grow weary, He'll give you new strength. If you fall low, He'll lift you up high. And better than all of that, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And He'll never fail you. Blessed be His holy name. Oh, that's why the book says, that's why the book says, church, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He shall, He shall, He shall direct your path. Oh, somebody, it might look like you're facing a dark hour. He shall direct your path. You might have a decision to make, and it's overwhelming and confusing. Acknowledge the God of your fathers. He shall Direct your path. Everybody else can be confused. Everybody else can be saying there's no way out of this. But if you trust in the Lord and you look to Jesus, He shall direct you. He shall guide you. He'll bring you safe to the other side. That's why the Bible says, Church of the living God, He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. He'll hold you up when life tries to knock you down. He'll lift you up when hell tries to grind you in the dust. There is a God who is the glory and the lifter of our head. He said, in your hour of trouble, call on me. In your moment of trial, lean on me. I'll carry you. I'll walk with you. I'll defend you. I'll lead you through the ups. I'll lead you through the downs. I'll make the rough places smooth and the crooked places straight. Just trust in the... Tell your neighbor, trust in God. Trust in God.
The brash young king had forgotten so much that he forgot there was one in the kingdom that could actually interpret dreams. There was one that was in tune with the God of heaven. He had an answer. He had wisdom when wisdom was needed. He had insight when insight was demanded. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. That handwriting's on the wall. You know, the problem with the handwriting on the wall is typically the one that God's writing to are the last ones to read it. Everybody else says, just saw that one coming. We all saw that coming. Amen. Yeah. Handwriting on the wall. But look at the wall. Look at the king. Look at the wise men. Who are you looking to for comfort? Who are you looking to for counsel? Who are you looking to to bring you through that dark and stormy night? I want you to know there is one by the name of Jesus. And he's a good shepherd. He's a faithful shepherd. And if you'll acknowledge him and call on him, if you'll trust in him with all your heart, he will lead you and he will guide you. He will hold you strong. He'll be your shield. He'll be your shade. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. So we see there is a a king, a brash, young, rebellious king. And then there is the living God that finally says, enough is enough. I'm going to crash your party. I'm going to get your attention because even God has his limits. And now there's the queen mother. The queen mother. Oh, she meant well. The queen mother. Everybody else had failed. The queen mother, the queen mother comes in. Again, it reminds her story. It was one of those town hall meetings, and this young politician just gave a rip-roar in, you know, one of his speeches. He really thought he hit a home run. And so he was bold enough to say, any questions out there? Way in the back, 21. Yeah, 21. Is anybody else running? Anybody else running? Amen. And, you know. Well... After the world flopped and failed, thank God there was someone else they could call on. Amen? Thank God there was a Daniel in the house. That's our role in this world. There's a Daniel in the house. Amen? The world out there, they tried this, they tried that. Finally, there got to be someone that knows God, someone that walks with God, someone that walks in their midst but knows the living God, someone they can call um, when they need prayer, someone they can talk to when they need counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the Daniels of this present hour. We are the ones that God says, I will use you and I will anoint you and I will place you in specific places. This is a world full of people that are falling with hopelessness and heaviness and they're trying to go through life and they don't know the Lord and they try this and it gets worse. They try that. It adds to the confusion. It adds to the baggage. But there has to be a people that, that God has at strategic places when others are falling, they can know that person's different. That person's was that one. Queen Mother, she hears the terrible shrieks, the cries, the, 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 the fearfulness, and the rest of the palace heard something terrible is happening in the banquet hall. And so she comes immediately to offer her counsel and her encouragement. You see what she, she says. There is a man. Let's look at that together. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. Look at verse 10. And we'll see how the queen mother, she hears the voices of the king and the nobles. O king, live forever. She says, don't be alarmed and don't look so pale. She meant well, but she's kind of not, she's not grasping the gravity of the situation. It was, you see what I mean? She meant well, but her advice was beautiful. There is a man, verse 11, in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods on him. In the time of your father, in the time, you see, he forgot the time of his fathers. 
In the time of your father, he, he was found to have insight, intelligence, wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, your father, the great king, appointed him chief of all the magicians, the enchanters, astrologers. Verse 12, this man Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind, knowledge, and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Wow. Wow. See, again, her attitude didn't grasp the gravity of the situation, but her suggestion was a good one. Get Daniel, get Daniel. And this is... Not a new scenario if you studied the book with us. Daniel's probably now in his early 80s. When we started the story, he's just a young teenager in chapter 1. Taken from his homeland. But now, he's kind of put off to the side. Semi-retirement. That's why he's not around. But when trouble comes, they know who to call on. Again, this is not a new scenario if you studied the book. There was a revelation from God. A fearful and frustrated ruler, incompetent counselors, and God's servant to the rescue. Her description of Daniel is an inspiring inscription. It shows us this morning how God can use His dedicated servants. How God will use His dedicated servants. In the midst of a fallen world where so many are troubled and so many are hurting, confused, discouraged, God desires to use you and I, faithful servants. He's looking for more Daniels in this present hour. And He'll use your life if you let Him. And He'll order your steps and He'll orchestrate events. He's looking for someone He can speak through, someone He can shine through. Someone that can be the hand and the voice of God at just the right time. Notice some things about Daniel, some attributes of his excellent spirit. Again, I was studying for this. I thought of um, Coach Holtz, Lou Holtz, um, the old coach of Notre Dame, and he had, he had a certain speech that he would give over and over again at these um, conferences. He was always asked to go to banquets and make a motivational speech, and this was pretty good. I thought of this speech that describes Daniel. Um, coach Holtz would often speak this message called the, the do right, the do right message, the, the, the do right speech. And in the speech, he would describe the three most important questions people want to know about us. Number one, can I trust you? God's looking for Daniels. God's looking for Daniels. A lost world. Hurting people. Amen? They're living with a lifetime of not knowing God. You make one bad decision worse. That's why they're so complex. So much brokenness out there. Families are broken down. There's confusion in the land. People don't know. They're left from the right. You know that. They're confused about their sexuality. There's confusion. It's just a spirit of confusion. Of hurting people. You can't live without God and not get confused along the way. You can't do it. You can't sever yourself from the one that made you and expect things not to get messed up somewhere along the way. But in the midst of the rebellion of man, there is a merciful God that yearns to touch them and speak to them. And He does it through His people, through faithful men and women that walk with Him in the good times and the bad, that will live with Him not only in church, but when they're out on the job. Men and women that He can use to bring a word of hope to the hopeless, a word of wisdom to the confused. 
message of truth to those that have been deceived and defiled by the lies of humanism and hedonism, etc. Coach Holt, number one, can I trust you? Number two, are you committed? People want to know, are you loyal? Can I trust you? Are you committed? And number three, do you care? Do you care? Can I trust you? Are you committed? Do you care? Reminded me of Daniel. As we look at the Queen Mother's description of Daniel, highlight four quick things. Number one in verse 11, we see that Daniel was remembered as a significant man. A significant man. After the others had failed, he says, there is a man. We often read in Scripture again and again, God looked for a man. God looked for available men and women ready for service, willing to respond to the Master's call, capable in their callings that God would use them. He says, I looked for a man to stand in the gap. I looked for a man that would stand firm for truth. I looked for a man or woman that would intercede on behalf of those that don't know enough to pray for themselves. I looked for someone that would heal the breach of the brokenness in a world that is so broken. Heaven is saying there's an enlistment time. Is there any healers in the house? Is there anyone that would say, Lord, you can take my life and use me to heal some of the pain of humanity? Open the doors. Give me the opportunity to speak your word of faith, to speak your word of love, to speak your word of truth. The Queen Mother remembered there was one that stood apart from the rest. There was one that got the job done when others failed. There was one that was the go-to guy. Reliable. Dependable. Capable. Consistent. Trustworthy in character. Excellent in effort. Fruitful in product. Number two, Daniel was remembered as a spiritual man. Verse 11, a spiritual man. She said, a man in whom the spirit of the gods is... God still desires this morning. He looks for a spiritual people. The early church, when they were looking for some men just to go feed the widows, one of the qualifications just for the nursing home ministry was to be known to be full of spiritual wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. For you know the prophet said so long ago, That the way to victory, the way to overcome the adversary, the way to take on problems and challenges that are seemingly overwhelming and complex is not by the power of man and not by the might of man, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And and this is the day, friend, I want you to know, listen, listen, you can be a spiritual person in a very corrupt and unspiritual world. I want you to know that if you don't hear anything else, I didn't say you don't have it. I'm telling you, got it. If you're a child of God and you're living for Jesus, wherever life takes you, you can be that light. You can be that voice. You can walk it in the midst of corruption. You can be light in the midst of darkness. If you want to walk with God, God will give you the grace so walk with them. Somebody say amen. You can be godly in an ungodly environment. That's the Daniel example. 
Let us strive to be spiritual. Men and women. Those that feed on the Word, that live holy lives. Faithful in prayer, faithful to God's house. Those that draw near again and again, that they might come out of that presence and represent the living God to a hurting world. Daniel was remembered as a sensible man, a man of wisdom, a man of wisdom. Verse 11, a man of wisdom. She said he was a man filled with insight, understanding, discernment. We studied this almost one whole message earlier on. The wisdom of Daniel. In a previous message, we touched on the importance of God's wisdom. Because, in all honesty, life is complex. Decisions are not always easy, no matter who you are. And mistakes, even when we mean well, are still costly. But the mind of God is offered. The mind of God will be given to the people that seek it. The people that call on it. The people that pursue it. And God will give us insight and understanding and direction that, that, that you can't find anywhere else. I know there's a lot of Proverbs 4, 5 through 8. Proverbs 4, 5 through 8. And we studied this the whole time. But let me give you one verse. How important is wisdom? It's great that you get forgiven. It's great that you get saved. God, start there. But if you're going to live victoriously, you've got to have the mind of God. You have to be able to take the wisdom of Almighty God and apply it to the very now and practical day by day of your life. That's how it works. Get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get understanding. Don't forget my words. The old king forgetting all the words. Don't forget the word of the Lord. Don't swear from them. Get it. Pursue it. Don't forsake. Don't forsake wisdom. And she'll protect. if you pursue it, she'll protect you. Wisdom, I'll protect you. Love her, she'll watch over you. The wisdom of God. Wisdom is supreme. We're going to pursue it, and it'll protect us. We're going to pay the price for it. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all, get understanding. You've got to pay for wisdom. It doesn't come to the lazy. Come on. How do I pay for it? I exchange the currency of my time, and I study. I exchange the currency of my priorities, and I go to the class. You see, I exchange lesser things for the more important things. And I'm purchasing, and I'm buying it. Because wisdom should be pursued. Because wisdom will protect your life. But wisdom has to be purchased. It has to spend time seeking the Word, meditating on the Word, honoring the Word. But if you pursue it and it protects you, if you pay the price for it, it will promote you and it will exalt you. Esteem wisdom and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. God says, if you honor my Word, I'll honor your life. If you'll honor my spirit, I'll honor what you touch. Daniel was remembered as a superior, skillful man. He had an extraordinary spirit. He was steady from his teens to his 80s. A man of courage and character, capability. He was a finisher. Daniel was Daniel. Those surroundings changed, and the circumstances were often up one day, down the next. But Daniel was Daniel, and he leaves us a great example for heaven is looking for more Daniels in such a time as this. Can you say amen? As I close this, listen carefully. This chapter has both a national and a personal application. National and personal application. National application. Handwriting on the wall. Any nation 
can be judged just as Babylon was. And we must be faithful to pray for our country. We must be faithful to stand firmly and loudly for righteousness. For America is not immune unless we turn from our national sins, and there are many. God could judge us just as severely and just as surely as He did Babylon. We need to pray for our country. Amen? We we need to speak for righteousness that our country wouldn't go. But obviously there's a second, there's a personal application in there. Because everything in the Bible, if you don't apply it to yourself, you've wasted a good lesson. What does God see when He measures me? Besides five foot eight on a tall day. What's he say? When God weighs me on his scales, what's the reading? What does God write when he examines my life? Friends, let's live in a way, let's live in a way where we will be ready at any moment to stand before the judgment seat of Christ because, listen, Write it down. Make no mistake about it. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is how we're going to end the sermon. Very, very. We're going to call the altar. Um, as we come to the altar this morning, as we pray our final prayer, sing our final song, if things aren't right, you're not ready to stand before Him, then come and make things right. Read the writing on the wall. Make things right. Make things right. If you don't know Jesus, come and receive Him. If you need to make a fresh altar of consecration, well, we'll do it. So don't, don't tempt the Lord. Don't, 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 arms are too short. Seek Him. Love Him. Serve Him. That's the winning side. That's the blessed side. But secondly, if you're doing pretty good, would you give a good minute and pray for America? Before you leave, the restaurant will be there. Can you pray for America? Can you just pray for our country? It's not in a politician or the lack thereof. Is in the morality of a nation, where God judges nations, and I don't want—I don't want my grandkids to go under the judgment of God. I, I might live it out, but if we don't turn, it'll probably fall on that. Ne- you know what? I don't want that to happen. So I want to do my part to pray that God will spare America, and in His mercy, maybe revive America and turn America. Amen. And, and listen, the world's not going to pray for that. It's got to be the church. It's got to be the people of God. So if if things aren't right, please make things right. If things are doing well, would you pray for our nation? Does anybody with any biblical knowledge can see the handwriting on the wall for this country if there's not some changes coming, if there's not some morality changes? But lastly, as we always do, as we always do, if you're here today and you just need prayer, whether it's for physical healing or fresh filling, please just come on down and someone will pray with you and believe God for you. Maybe you just need to join faith with someone. Stand with me, please, and we're going to close in our prayer and open these altars. And again, everyone's invited to come for prayer if you need prayer, but let's spend some time praying for our country. Let's spend some time, if we need to make an altar, make an altar. Make an altar. So, Lord, I want to put things where they belong. Amen. I want to be a Daniel. Use me as a Daniel in this present hour. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for this sobering yet inspiring story. Help us to live lives after the pattern of Daniel. Faithful, dependable, productive from the beginning to the end of our lives. 
And Father, this morning, let Your divine wind blow Your breath of life upon Your people. Let many here receive just a sovereign touch of the Spirit. Father, I pray if there's anyone here weary, refresh them, revive them, renew their strength. If anyone's here today, Lord, and they're facing a rough week and they know they got some things, Lord, remind them of your prophetic word again that if they'll just trust you, you'll go before them. You'll fight that battle. You'll care for them. So, Father, as we commit this altar time to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, let your sovereign power flow. Work in our hearts. Refresh our lives. Stir our faith. And we'll give you the glory and the honor. And Father, if you're looking for Daniels, find a whole bunch of them right here. And use us in our world to be your vessels. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's worship the Lord. These altars are open. Let's respond.